God is real. He's alive. And He wants to do something in our life. And what a joy it is. I certainly enjoyed the presentation. I'm not even going to bother going up there. Uh, I enjoyed the presentation uh, from the young man in the Philippines. Uh, I have had the great privilege of visiting the Philippines. And, of course, when you go somewhere with the desire to win people to Christ, God does something to your heart. And uh, I fell in love with the Filipino people uh, while we were there. I have a, a missionary out of our group uh, called uh, Brother Hunter, and he's a missionary down in Mindanao area. I'm not familiar with the geography. You can, he'll explain it to you later. But uh, he was at our church a few months ago, and uh, I had a young man in my church, good young man. He just wasn't doing anything, you know. He was in la-la land, you know. He, was, he went two years to Bible college, and he, he uh, came home one summer and just never went back, and he just messing. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He just messing around. And so Brother Hunter came to our church and got up and sang and gave his presentation and preached. And, boy, that young man could preach. I'm telling you, it was awesome. And, and uh, on the way out, I grabbed this young man. His name's Jacob by the arm. I said, why don't you just go to the Philippines with him and stop messing around? And he gave me this look like, oh, my word, you know. And uh, I thought, well, that's the last time I'll hear anything about that. Well, that night he came back and he said, I've spent the whole afternoon with Brother Hunter. And he said, God spoke to my heart that whole service about going. And then you said that at the end. I'm just going to the Philippines. And that's where he is right now tonight. And uh, we raised enough money for him to go to the Philippines. And he didn't have a place for him to live. So he had to build his own bedroom. And uh, it's going to be the best thing ever happened to that young man. He's going to come back just like this one. I went over there for a visit and God got my heart. And that's exactly what God wants to do to you. He wants to do it with me. He wants us to get our heart involved in what God's called us to do. Get involved with your heart, not with your head. Man, our head will mess us up. You've got to get involved with your heart. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter number 9. Stand with me. It, it's just so amazing how God's put all this together. Missionary even had part of this... Uh, passage of scripture on his video tonight in Matthew chapter 10 uh, very or chapter 9 a very familiar passage of scripture as you hear preachers say all the time there's a reason why they're familiar because they're good amen they're good verses look at verse 35 with me uh, Matthew chapter 9 the Bible says and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And you know, this is the first time I've ever preached in a synagogue. I like it. All right, moving right along. Uh, anyway, uh, preaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Would you pray with me? Lord, we sure do love you tonight. And we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you don't uh, just work on our mind, uh, but you work on our heart. We're not just getting involved, but we're getting in love. We thank you for the great calling of God upon our life. I pray, God, that before this service was over, that you would speak to hearts about what they need to do for the cause of the gospel. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd speak to every heart in this room tonight, uh, that you would just help us understand that there's 
there's a job to be done. And we all need to get involved, not with just uh, with our uh, self, but with everything that we have, with our heart and with our mind and with our soul, and, and just get involved with everything uh, that you want us to do. We love you tonight, and thank you uh, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what a great passage, you may be seated. What a great passage of Scripture here tonight. Jesus Christ is looking at the great multitude as He's going through the villages, and He's uh, doing the work of God. He's preaching the gospel in the synagogue. He's healing people. He's just simply doing the work of God. And I'm telling you, when you're busy doing the work of God, God can use you. If you're sitting around doing nothing, nothing's what you'll always do. But you've got to go do something. And so Jesus Christ is going through the villages and, and he looked at the great multitude. Uh, can I just tell you, uh, preacher was so gracious to us and, and Peter took us all over New York today. I have no idea where all we was. But you know how many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people we saw? The multitudes were amazing. Uh, I, the people were everywhere. Uh, and I, I've always uh, talked to people, you know, people say, well, New Yorkers are not very friendly. Can I just tell you, I never met an unfriendly person. I've never met one. We was up at the, the top of the rock or whatever you call that thing at Rockefeller Square. And this guy was standing over there at his thing. And he said, go down there. Go over here. You know, being a New Yorker. And so I stopped and I said to him, I said, man, this view must have lost its beauty to you. He starts laughing. He said, yeah, it does kind of lose its luster after you look at it every day. I said, I bet you're, you're a giant fan, aren't you? He starts laughing. He says, yeah. I said, I'm from cowboy country. So we're laughing. He left his post, walked all the way around the line and stood there and talked to me the whole time. You know why? Because I didn't let him do anything else. Come on. They'll talk to you if you talk to them. You know, we've forgotten what God said. God said, if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. So all the people in this room, stop being New Yorkers and be Christians. That's free. Come on. <laughs> Make them talk to you. I, I, we did it. We got this lady talking at the elevator, and I didn't think we was ever going to get her to stop and let us get on the elevator. I'm just being friendly with her. I guess they like my accent. They know I'm not from New York. I think they figured that out right off. <laughs> this guy don't belong here. <laughs> That's okay. But you know, we, we, and so Jesus Christ is doing the work of God, and he sees the multitude. And I'm telling you, when you see the multitude like God sees the multitude, you will begin to have compassion on them. And, and the Bible just simply says Jesus Christ had compassion on them. And let me just tell you what compassion is. Compassion is not feeling sorry for somebody. Come on. Compassion is seeing a need and God grabbing hold of your heart and making you have the desire to meet the need. If you're not willing to meet the need, don't tell me you have compassion. Compassion wants to do something about what they see. And Jesus Christ saw the, the need there, and he begins to describe the need. He said he saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion on them. And here's why. Because they fainted. They had no hope outside of Jesus Christ. They were fainting under the burden of sin. Do you realize the whole world is fainting under the burden of sin? They are uh, crushed down with their sin. They have no idea what to do about their sin. We have rehab places everywhere trying to get people out of their addictions. We have people going to counseling and they're going to hospitals and they're doing everything. But what they need is Jesus. I'll tell you right now. You get you an alcoholic and win him to Christ, he won't be an alcoholic anymore. Come on, say amen. Jesus will change his life. 
That's what they need. The world needs Jesus Christ. You know why we're in such a mess in our world? It's because we've got so many people out there dying and falling under the burden of sin. And nobody's told them how to get rid of the problem. Jesus had compassion on them because they was under the burden of sin. Notice what he said. And they were scattered abroad. They had no direction in their life. They had no idea what to do next. Do you understand the world does not know what to do next? They don't know where to go. They don't know where to get relief. They don't know what the answer is. They don't even know what the question is. You know the answer. Don't you? I don't care what the question is. The answer is Jesus. You want to know what the answer to your problem is? It's Jesus Christ. And your commitment to Jesus Christ will solve whatever problem you have. You say, oh, preacher, you just don't know how, how, how deep my problem goes. I don't care what your problem is. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's always the answer. And Jesus Christ looked at them and said they had no direction. They had no way to tell people. There was no way to tell them uh, what they ought to do. And then notice what he said. He says, and their sheep is having no uh, shepherd. They have nobody to teach them the truth. Do you know how rare the truth is in our world? Come on. Churches all over America meet every Sunday and not one word of truth said in the whole thing. Truth. You know what truth is? Well, let me see if I can get the biblical definition of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, oh, and the truth. There it is. You know, Jesus Christ is truth. He just doesn't preach the truth. He doesn't contain the truth. He is the truth. And so the Bible says these people are scattered abroad because they don't have anybody tell them the truth. Let me tell you how refreshing it is to go to a church where Jesus is lifted up and people know who he is and know what he is and know what he can do for them. Jesus Christ is the truth. And I'm telling you, it's the truth that will set you free. And when he sets you free, you're free indeed. Amen. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ... His answer. So he saw the great need there. And he, he had great compassion on them. And understand, he had the ability to meet the need. That's what compassion is all about. And then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. Is there any different than that today? Is there a lack of harvest field? I tell people all the time, Just go anywhere you want and there's the harvest. There's people everywhere lost. And more so here probably than anywhere else. Per square inch, there's probably more lost people in New York City than any other place in America. Come on, say amen. They're everywhere. Walk outside the door. There they are. You go down to the grocery store and there they are. Wherever you go, the multitude is in great need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have missions conferences and we have missionaries. I, uh, by God's grace, I, we had the opportunity to go to Seoul, Korea. And I'm telling you, the multitudes and multitudes of people without Jesus Christ. It's amazing. You go to Manila, the Philippines. I had the great opportunity to go there. And just millions and millions and millions and millions of people. The harvest truly is plenteous. Do you not agree? I heard in the new, uh, on the news the other day, you, the, the world just passed the 7 billion people mark. 7 billion people. My mind does not even register that high. You reckon we have a harvest field? <laughs> and you don't have to go very far. Every once in a while, we go on our visitation on Tuesday night, and I go up there and people say, where are we going tonight? I say, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to drive up down the street till you see somebody out in the yard and stop and talk to them about Jesus. They're everywhere. We don't need a name. We don't need an address. They're everywhere. I'm telling you, no matter where you go, the harvest is plenty. Say amen. It's everywhere. There's no, there is no shortage of people to talk about Jesus to. 
Well, there's a shortage of those who want it. Well, you have to call through a bunch to get to the one who does want it. Come on, say amen. I talked to a lot of people. I, I was at the post office, uh, and uh, there was a man sweeping the floor at the post office. I went over and got my mail out. I went back and laid it on the table, and he's over there sweeping. And I walked over to him, and I said, Sir, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? See, I don't know if that's a good way to approach it. I don't either. But he looked at me kind of funny. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, would you got a minute? Let me tell you. And I had the opportunity to lead that man to Christ right there in the post office. They're everywhere. A man sweeping the floor was waiting on somebody to come and tell him about Jesus. Say amen. They're everywhere. I was standing in line at, uh, at, at a, a discount store we was at. And I was about three back. And this girl that was checking up there looked like she was about 25 to maybe just 26, 27 years old. The older I get, the harder that is. Amen. He looks like he's about 12 to me. And so uh, uh, I don't know how old she was, but she's crying and she's checking out. Everybody's griping at her because she won't hurry. And she's just weeping and crying and carrying on. Finally, it got up to me and I said, sweetheart, what's the matter? And she said, I've got such a horrible thing going on in my life. And she told me what was going on. I said, can I tell you how to solve your problem? And she said, how? I said, let me tell you about Jesus. I led her to Christ right there. Everybody's back there. What is he doing up there? What is he holding up this line for? Get, they was all mad. Who cares? Do you think I cared whether they was holding that line up or not? Uh, she didn't care after we got through either. Amen. Folks, they're everywhere. You can't go anywhere without finding somebody needs Jesus. There's a whole bunch of people don't want it, but there's one or two out there that do. And if you just go through them, just keep going through them. Now, don't spend all your time arguing with people who want to argue. That's not, that's not what God wants me to do. Somebody, I say, hey, do you want me to tell you about Jesus? No, I hate church. Okay, God bless you and I leave. Let's stand and argue with those nuts. But there's people that want Jesus. The harvest is plenteous. They're everywhere. And then he makes this statement. He said, but the laborers are few. And the first time I read that, my heart broke. Why, oh, why are there so few laborers? Why is it that we don't have a church full of people in this city right here? Why is this place not packed? Why do you not have people lined up to be Sunday school teachers? Why, oh, why, God, are the laborers so few? It's not God's fault. Come on. God said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if God intends for everybody to hear the gospel, and he does, and he wants everybody to repent, and he does, are you with me? Then why do we not have millions of preachers out there preaching the word of God and millions of preachers' wives standing there with him? Why, oh why, do we have to beg people to teach Sunday school and run bus routes and do the work of God in the churches? Tell me why we have so few laborers. Well, I prayed and asked God to show me, and I believe I found the answer. Why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and I'll show you what the problem is. It's not God. You see, Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah giving his testimony. Now, I'm going to tell you, you want to find out about a man's life, let him give his testimony like our young missionary did tonight. That's a great testimony, isn't it? That's what happened to him. I like it. I told you last night what happened to me. Just a small portion of it, of my testimony. And I want you to know God wants us to hear what Isaiah had to say. Now, we want to jump down to verse number 8. And the Bible says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Hear my Lord, send me. I'll do it. I volunteer. Woo-hoo. That's good stuff, isn't it? I asked young people. I asked some of your young people already. What God wants you to do? I don't know. You think God's called you? I don't know. 
Why aren't they hearing the voice? Come on. Is it still real? Does God still speak to our hearts? Is God still calling people? He's trying to. But they're not listening. Why is it that we have a country like uh, Korea, a city like Seoul, and there's not a missionary on every corner? Why is it you drive through New York City and there's not a church in every neighborhood? Somebody tell me why. It's not because God doesn't want one there. Is it? Does he not care about New Yorkers? He loves them. Come on, say amen. Why is that? Why isn't there more people hearing the voice of God and volunteering and saying, Here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I'll go. I'll be your missionary. I'll be your preacher. I'll be your preacher's wife. I'll be the Sunday school teacher. I'll be the person that'll uh, go out and knock on doors. I'll be the one. Where are they? Well, I think if you read the story that leads up to verse 8, you'll find out where they are. Because here's our problem. People don't know who God is. I want you to think about what Isaiah saw. Look in verse 1. Here's what Isaiah saw. And when we get through talking about what Isaiah saw, how many of you wouldn't raise your hand and say, Here, I said me. If you just saw God the way he really is. But see, we, we don't see God like that. We think God somehow is some kind of person that we can serve or not serve. It doesn't matter. We can go to church or not go to church and it don't matter. Uh, we can pray or not pray and it doesn't matter. Folks, that's not the God we serve. Here's what Isaiah saw. Are you still with me? Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, why is it that Isaiah mentions King Uzziah in this statement? Because, are you with me? He wanted to put a calendar date to the time God spoke to his heart. Come on. And he couldn't say January the 14th, 1973. So he said, you know, the year King Uzziah dies when this happened in my life. Can I just ask you, when has it happened in your life? When is it that you really got a vision of who God is? And stop playing religion. And stop playing church and saw God like Isaiah saw him. He said, in the, king, the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Folks, the whole world's trying to bring God down on their level. And he's not on your level. He's high and lift it up. He's a God that doesn't think like you think. He's a God that doesn't do what you want Him to do. He's a God that doesn't uh, want to accomplish the same things we want to accomplish. Can I just tell you, oh, I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings, but can I just tell you God's not interested in your comfort? Well, that's not very nice. Don't you think He's more interested in souls than He is in how comfortable you are? I don't know where we got such an idea as that. But the Bible says he is high and lifted up. He's God. He owns and controls and created everything. Now, I'm going to tell you, we've been taught this evolution thing for so long, it has had an effect even on God's people. You was not derived from a monkey. Did you hear me? Now, I met a lot of people who look and act like one. But that's not where they come from. That is the lie the devil is destroying our world with. There is no such thing as evolution. Now, you listen to me, Christian. There's no place in the Word of God for any kind of evolution, any way, shape, or form. There's no creational evolution. There's no gap theory. There's none of that kind of stuff. The Bible says God created everything we see in seven, literally, 24-hour days. The evening and the morning were the first day. 
And there is no room for any of that other junk. And when you go into the museums and this, this uh, usually this lady or some young man will say, 50 million years ago, I want to say, are you kidding? You see, they won't really tell you the truth about this stuff. You know why the wheels on the moon buggy was so big? They don't ever tell you these kind of things. But let me tell you what's so big. Because when they got there, if the world and the universe was as, as old as they said it was, the moon dust would have been about waist deep. When they got there, it was about this deep. Surprise! I wasn't surprised, was you? Folks, listen to me. God is God. And it's time for you and I to see who we're talking about. And when you bring him down on your level and the world brings him down on their level and he starts being the man upstairs and, and he becomes your genie in a bottle every time you want something, you just run and pray and rub it real good and he pops out. Where do you get that stuff? That's not in the Bible. God's high and lifted up. He's God. He's the one that we love. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we serve. Notice what he said. He's high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And the Bible says, uh, above him stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. And with twine he covered his feet. And with twine he covered his, uh, excuse me, with twine he covered his face. And with twine he covered his feet. And with twine he did fly. Man, what a being. You hear me? Seraphims, angels, you understand? You believe in angels, right? You better believe in them. He just described them to you. Amen. They have two wings that cover their face. They have two wings that cover their feet. And they have two wings they fly around with. And they only have one job. You know what their job is? God created an entire race of beings. And the only job they have is to fly around heaven and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the only job they have. Can you imagine God so holy that he created an entire race of beings just to tell everybody how holy he is? Does that sound like the man upstairs to you? Does that sound like the God everybody wants to describe in our world? I actually heard a guy on TV the other day said, I believe that we have the right to demand God do something. I said, are you crazy? Do you not know who you're talking about? You don't demand God do anything. God demands of you what to do. And the Bible says he has these beings that's crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. And I'm telling you right now the reason there's so few, so few labors in the labors because people have not seen God as he really is. That's the problem. And it runs over into our life too if we're not real careful. Say amen. Let me tell you something. We serve a three-time holy God. And He is God. And you know what? I believe if every one of us would get a vision of who God is, we too would say, I'll go serve a God like that. But you know, when God begins to move on the hearts of young men, sometimes their parents say, no, I want my son to be a lawyer. He can't make any money as a preacher. Now, let me just tell you right up front, you're not going to make any money as a preacher. You're not. If, you're, if you want to be a preacher and make money, you're not going to do it. Don't believe our missionary here is ever going to be rich in worldly things. But see, folks, that really has nothing to do with it. We have a youth camp that we go to every year. And uh, we'll take 30, 40, 50 kids with us in senior camp. And 
And man, we have some kids. Man, you know, when we go to camp, we just go to camp and we just preach to them, preach to them, and preach to them. Just like I'm preaching to you uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night. And then we have Sunday school before all that each morning. <laughs> we give them the Word of God. I had one kid in junior camp one time who told me, he said, Preach, I'd be to church this many times in my whole life. We just go to church. Now we play a few games to make them happy, but we go to church. And God does some miraculous things in our young people's lives. Brother Jason Gaddis preached our youth camp. And he was up there preaching about things that hinder your ability to serve God. And he began to name them. And boy, when he got through, our kids were at the altar begging God to help them get all that bad stuff out of their life. Had one of our kids come home and he was preaching about pornography and all kinds of bad stuff that they get on their computer. And this is what he told them. He said, if you have a problem with that, get the computer out of your room. Get it right out in the middle of everywhere where you can't do that. Makes, does that make sense to anybody? I thought it made perfect sense. Had one young man come home, told his dad he wanted to get the computer out of his office. His dad said, stop being a big baby and shut up. I said, what? So we got some problems here. Don't you agree? I, I have my, you know what my youth pastor tells me all the time? And I say it at my church too. You know what he says? Man, I could have some great young people one for their parents. I have parents actually ground their kids from going to youth activities. Are you kidding? Man, ground them from school before you ground them from church. Are you kidding? You see, there's a lot of parents haven't got God where he's supposed to be either. High and lifted up. You see, that's one of the reasons why. The second thing that's necessary before you're going to ever hear the voice of God is listen to what Isaiah said. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. Not only did Isaiah see God as he was, high and lifted up, but he saw himself as he was. You know who you really are? Hello, when you get in the presence of God, everybody in the whole Bible falls down on their face when they see God. You know why? Because we're sinful men. I cannot tell you how many times I've had somebody say, Preacher, I can't preach. I say, I know you can't. You're not supposed to be able to. You get it? If you think you can do it, what do you need God for? I'll never forget when God called me to preach. Never. We had a missionary there by the name of Mosley. He was a missionary and he was a compassionate, loving man. I never met anybody quite like him. Maybe that's why God's given me such a heart for missions. Everything that ever happened in my life had something to do with the missionary. And he was up there preaching and wanting to know why. Oh, why won't you come and help me? And boy, all of a sudden, God started speaking to my heart. And he said, I want you. And I thought, you got to be kidding. I couldn't talk. I couldn't get up and speak. I know you find this hard to believe because I'm a lunatic now, but that's not how it started. I understand how other people feel. I'm telling you, when I went to high school, I had a speech class, and I never one time gave a speech. I wasn't getting up in front of those people and talking. I wasn't doing it. I was scheduled to give a speech, and, and I just skipped school. And I went back to school the next day, and my dear, sweet speech teacher, she was about 65 years old, lovely lady. First time I ever preached a message, she came to hear me preach too, by the way. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Anyway... She said to me, if you don't do your speech, you can't graduate. I said, so be it. 
I see a GED in my future. I'm not doing it. She said, well, I'm going to give you another chance. So she scheduled, and I skipped school again. And I went to school, and she said, what am I going to do? I said, I don't know. The next day, I came with a dozen roses and a box of candy. And I gave it to this sweet lady, and she gave me a D minus, and I graduated. But I never one time did a speech, not once. Come on, I scared to death. I wasn't getting up in front of people and say anything. I got saved. I was January the 14th, 1973, as I told you the other day. About two weeks after I got saved, I'm standing there on a Sunday morning, and the preacher said, we're going to have one of our newest Christians dismiss us in prayer on a Sunday morning. And he called on me to pray. I never prayed before in my life in public. I said, what'd you do, preacher? I just stood there. <laughs> and stood there. And stood there. If the deacon hadn't spoke up and started praying, we'd still be there. <laughs> I was not going to. I could not do it. And then when God called me to preach, I said, God, you got to be kidding. I can't talk in front of people. So I went to my preacher. And I asked him this famous question. I said, preacher, how do you know when God's called you to preach? And I was thinking he's going to tell me there's lightning goes off or smoke comes down. Something. I thought something cool he was going to tell me. But here's what he told me. If you ask that question, he already has. That was not the answer I wanted. I said, well, what do I do? He said, well, that's me and you go to the altar and you just tell God yes. Tell him you'll do it. He's already called you. Just tell him you'll do it. And you know what? I knew he was right. So I went to the altar and I told him, all right, I'll do it. Preacher said, all right, you're preaching Wednesday. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding. So I prepared a message. Oh, that was a horrible week. I preached this message to my wife four or five times. She, every time she said, that's not very good. <laughs> but you know, I thought if I was going to be embarrassed, I might as well get everybody there I could. So I got my mom. I got all my drug buddies. I got everybody I knew to come to church. We had about 15 visitors there that night. And I got up and preached about four minutes, five minutes, six minutes at the most. Said everything I knew, man, everything I knew. I gave the invitation. My mom and four other people come forward and got saved. I said, ain't nothing to this preaching stuff. They just fall down the aisles and get saved. I'm just kidding. So they had my... At the end of the service, which was quite early, because <laughs> I didn't preach very long. I've got over that, by the way, in case y'all hadn't noticed. And uh, so my preacher said, all right, Brother Webster, come down here and stand with these people. And so I'm standing here by my mom and three of my drug buddies that got saved. And I looked in the back, in the far back of the church, and I had my, my uncle was back there. My uncle had been in prison twice for killing people. He was the meanest guy I ever met in my life. I mean, absolutely the meanest guy I ever met. I was with him one night in a place I shouldn't have been. And this guy came by and kicked his chair. He jumped up with his switchblade. <coughs> he said, I'll cut your head off for kicking his chair. I just kind of slid out the back door and said, I don't think I want to be here with you. He was nuts. I was scared to death of him. Come on, you would be too. He was nuts. So he's standing back there listening to me preach. And everybody got in line to come by and shake our hands. And he got in the line. And the whole time, he's way back in the back of the line. The Holy Spirit's saying, you got to talk to him. you got to talk to him. you got to talk to him. I was scared out of my mind. Come on, you ever been that scared? I thought the man would pull out a gun and shoot me. I had no idea what he was going to say. 
So when he got there, I finally mustered up enough courage. When he put his hand in mine, I said, Uncle Lester, don't you want to get saved? And he just starts crying. Yes, I want to get saved. (laughs) Whoopee! I was glad I was still alive. (laughs) Oh, listen to me, folks. I knew I couldn't preach. I knew I had no hope of doing that. The only hope I had was Jesus Christ enabling me to do it. And that's the only hope you have too. The only reason this missionary will ever be successful is if Jesus Christ makes him successful. The only way this missionary is ever going to do anything is if Jesus Christ makes him do it. And the only way Brother Parks is ever going to be able to do all that God wants him to do is if God does it. You can't do it. You've got to look at yourself and realize who you are. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have no abilities of myself. I have no way of doing this on my own. But my God can do it because he's high and lifted up. Remember who we are, who he is? You think he's going to have a problem helping you do whatever he tells you to do? Not even that much. All you've got to do is say yes. So he saw God the way God is. He saw himself the way he was. And then notice the last thing he saw. The Bible says in verse number 5, he said, And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He saw the multitude in the need of seeing God. Folks, do you realize the greatest gift you can ever give anybody is help them see God as he really is? I meant actually let people see God. Not this craziness that the world's teeth telling everybody about, but seeing God high and lifted up. A God worth serving. A God worth worshiping. A God worth singing praises about. I'm telling you, I'm glad y'all don't do this. And, and man, I really loved it when we was in Korea. Man, the music minister got up and started leading singing, and those men stood out there and they sang. I loved it. It was so awesome. Man, I go to some churches and the preacher gets up, the man gets up to lead the singing. And all the men are standing out there going, make me sing if you think you can. And they just stand there like a bump on a log. I said, are you kidding me? If you saw Jesus as he was, you'd sing. He said, I know I can't sing. I can't either. Who cares? It doesn't say you have to be able to. He just says, do it. I sing. I love singing. I can't do it in public. Every once in a while, my music director, I'm standing up on the platform singing. I get a little carried away. He'll turn around going, shh, you're messing up the song service. I don't care. I'm singing about my Jesus. And I'm among people who need to know that he's real. Whatever happened to men that would stand up for Jesus? Where are they all? It's a sad day. You know, a lot of times we criticize churches because women are running it. Well, let me tell you why women run some churches. Because the men won't do it. They just won't. You can't get them to do anything. I, I, need a, I need a Sunday school teacher. Well, get my wife to do it. Are you kidding? Come on, you need to see God. You need to see yourself. And I know you can't do it, but God can. And then look around and get a compassion for the multitude. If all you ever do is look at yourself, you're never, ever going to have the view that God wants you to have. So Isaiah saw God. He saw himself. And he saw the world in their great need. And then he heard the call. Now let me tell you why there's so few laborers. Because people are not seeing God as they are, as he is. And they're not seeing their self. And they're not seeing the need. And they're not hearing the call. Verse 8 will never come in your life. Until the rest of this gets lined up. 
And then notice, I like Isaiah. He's such a real guy. Look at verse 11. This was the first question I asked the Lord after I surrendered, verse 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do I have to do this, Lord? How long do I have to be a preacher? How long do I have to be a Sunday school teacher? How long do I have to work in the church? Just when's it going to be somebody else's turn? I'm glad Isaiah asked that question. Because I'll be honest, that was one of the first questions I asked. How long do I have to do this? How long do you think you have to be a preacher? Well, here's how long he said. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without men, and the land be utter desolate. Now let me put that in Texan for you. You got to do it till there's nobody else to do it with. That's how long. There's no getting off place. There's no quitting place. Well, you know, I came to church last week and they didn't even shake my hand. Well, boo-hoo. Come on, what does that got to do with serving God? Are you doing it so they'll shake your hand? Are they doing it so you'll notice you? Well, you know, I brought something to dinner the other night and the preacher didn't even taste it. Whoopee. Are you listening? That has nothing to do with what we're doing. We get so sidetracked with that kind of stuff. How long do I have to serve God? How long do I have to preach? Well, I started preaching in 1974 and I just kept right on doing it. I'm going to have my 27th anniversary at Liberty Baptist Church a week from this Sunday. We had friend day. My music minister found a tape, a cassette tape, for all you that don't know what that is, that's what we used to listen to, and uh, a cassette tape of the first two sermons that I preached when I candidated at Liberty Baptist Church 27 years ago. And so we're going to put it on CD and pass it out on friend day. Preacher hadn't learned one thing in 27 years. I still preach just like I did 27 years ago. Oh, let me tell you something, folks. There's no time to quit. You've got a great opportunity here. You have no lack, no lack, no lack for the harvest. They're everywhere. So why don't we go get some? Are you with me? Now, I'm not going to do this because I'm not sure the New Yorkers can take it. So I'm just going to tell you what I do right here when I preach this sermon. I show you how to double your attendance in one Sunday. Let me tell you how you double your attendance in one Sunday. And this is what I normally do. I normally get these two boys to come up here and help me. Come here. Come here. And this is how you double your attendance. And then I usually make all of you come up here. But I'm not real sure you can handle it, so I won't. So I would say to these young men, I'd say, I'm going to give you a crash course on how to win souls. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you how to do it. You ready? All you got to do is go out here in this audience and just get somebody and bring them up here. So go get you somebody. Just go get somebody, anybody. Come on, hurry up. We don't have all night. This, this is a time limit. Just grab you anybody. They're going back in the back seat, people. Get somebody and bring them up. Just anybody. It don't matter who they are. Just grab somebody. That's it. Grab him. Get you somebody. Over here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Y'all, y'all are way too slow. Get you somebody. Get up here. Now. I'm going to give you all a crash course on how to win souls. All you have to do is just go out there and get somebody. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to embarrass the rest of you. <laughs> but I usually make them go get somebody and then them go get somebody until all of you guys are up here. And then I say to the whole congregation, why don't you go get somebody? But you can't get them in here because they're all up here. So go out there and get somebody. If everybody in this room and go get somebody, bring them back to church Sunday and let me preach to them. Are you listening? Well, I don't know anybody. Who said you had to know them? Just go get, they're everywhere. 
Don't use that for an excuse. Thank you, guys. Just get somebody. Are you with me? If you saw God high and lifted up, you would have no problem with what I just said. If you saw yourself as you really are, you'd know that everybody else out there has the same problem and they need Jesus. And you'd want to bring them so they could meet God like you have met God. Isn't it awesome? And then when we take and talk about Faith Promise Sunday and we ask you to determine what God wants you to do in Faith Promise, will you have any trouble giving it if you see God high and lifted up? Come on, if you see who you're serving, is there any problem with sacrificing? Do you know how much money this church, more money this church could give? If everyone in this room just made up their mind, I'm going to go and not have one lunch, one lunch a week. Everybody in here could up their faith promise by 10 bucks. Just one lousy lunch. Is that too much to ask? I don't think it is. When you see God, it's not. Can you imagine seeing God high and lifted up? These angels flying around hollering, holy, holy, holy. You say, I'm sorry, God, I don't want to serve you. I just don't see that. Do you? I see us falling on our face and say, God, let me do it. Let me go. Let me give. Let me sacrifice. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to pray about what God would have you do. And then ask God to help you bring one person to church on Sunday. Don't care whether you know them or not. doesn't matter. Just bring them to church on Sunday. The neighborhood's full. Your neighborhood's full. This city's full of people. Just grab you one. You say, well, they won't want to come. Well, grab you a different one. And keep grabbing you one until they say yes. Are you with me? I heard a statistic one time said you have to invite 10 people to get one person to come. Now, some people look at that as a discouraging thing. I say, listen, get out there and find you 10 and invite them and you get one. Are you, are you with me? Stop being negative about what the ones that don't want to come say and keep finding until you've got one that does want to come or that will come. Could I just tell you I didn't want to go when I went? I went because my wife made me. Well, she didn't make me, but you know how wives are. They could make you. You know, if your wife's not happy, ain't nobody happy. I understand that. Just go get somebody and come with a burden for missions. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder tonight if you actually saw God tonight. Now, you're not going to, but if you was to see God high and lifted up, I wonder what kind of decision you'd make. Would there be too few laborers among us if we really saw God? If we saw God sitting on the throne and he come into this building and he was high and lifted up and his train, his garments filled the building and smoke just filled the whole building and we seen almighty God. I believe it'd change our life. I believe we'd be ready to hear the voice of the Lord saying who will go for us. And I believe we'd be ready to say, here am I, Lord, send me. How about it tonight? You really want to get a vision of God. I tell you, that's why the laborers are so few, and that's why we that love God, say we love God, work so little, because we really don't see God. 
the way he really is. Heavenly Father, it's our prayer tonight that you'd give us a vision of who you really are. Lord, that we could see you high and lifted up. And we'd know that you are God. And that you are the one that controls and loves and does everything for us. And you'll enable us to do whatever we surrender our life to do. God, would you help us tonight? God, what we need to see you. We need to see you tonight. High and lifted up. There's some young men in this church that need to see you tonight. And say, here my Lord, send me. There's some young ladies in here tonight that need to surrender their life. And say, here my Lord, send me. There's some church members in this building that need to say, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll do it because I hear your call. The laborers are few, but it's not because God is not calling us. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for this precious portion of Scripture. Lord, we see you high and lifted up in our heart. We know who you are. Thou art God, and beside thee there is none else. You are the creator of everything and the sustainer of everything. And you're the one that cares about mankind. And so you tell us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You tell us to be a witness everywhere we go. You tell us to bring people into the house of God. So, Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help us get a vision of who you are so we would not only be obedient, but we'd want to be obedient. We'd want the world to know the God that we love. We'd want the world to come and sing about the God we love. Lord, would you just speak to our hearts tonight? Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?